Let's go ahead and get started this morning. Happy Easter. Let me uh, begin us in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for another day and another Easter to celebrate where we get to today, praise and worship you for rising again from the dead. Lord, we pray that uh, as we celebrate today and as we worship you, that uh, your word would be preached in truth and it would be taught in truth and that you would come and that you would change us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May I say one more thing? Yes, go ahead. It's also our pastor's birthday. Today? Yes. <laughs> Are you serious? Wow, happy birthday. Do, do I dare ask how old? Wow, awesome. So slightly older than me. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear bless you. Happy birthday to you. It's actually today, though. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. All right. Well, if you are, if you got your Bibles with, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're, of course, continuing our series this morning in the book of Hebrews. And today, if we have enough time, my plan is that we're going to cover chapter 1, verse 4, all the way through to the end of verse 2. Excuse me, to the end of chapter 2. And the reason why I want to do this is because uh, this is all one section in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we, We noted last week, if you'll remember, that there are seven major sections in the book of Hebrews. And if you were here last week, you might remember this. What is the main point of section one that we covered last week? What was the main point? Who is Christ superior to in this first section? Yeah, that's right, the prophets. That's right. So there's seven major sections in the book of Hebrews. And the first one is that Christ is superior to the prophets. And as we looked at that, we saw that as the author of Hebrews unfolded his argument, he made it very clear that Christ is superior to the prophets. And he did that in a couple of ways. For example, he said that Christ is superior to the prophets because the prophets were just messengers. Now, the prophets were very important figures in the Old Testament of old. They came, they brought the message of God to the people of Israel. They, they enacted marvelous signs and wonders and supernatural works and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, the prophets were just messengers. They didn't actually judge the people of Israel. They didn't bring God's wrath on them in an, in, in an immediate way. They didn't bring salvation for the people of Israel. No, they just announced those things to the people. And yet, Jesus, on the other hand, is the greater prophet Because when Jesus comes, he actually brings judgment. He is the judge in the last day. Jesus himself is the one who doesn't just proclaim the salvation of God, but he actually brings about the salvation of God. And so in those ways and a lot of other ways, we saw that the author of Hebrews' first point is to say, Jesus is superior to the prophets. And following that same kind of logic here, we get to our second section, which we're covering today, and that is that Jesus is superior, not just to the earthly human messengers of God, namely the prophets, but Jesus is also superior to the heavenly messengers of God, namely the angels. 
And so that's what this section is about, that Jesus is superior to the angels. So let me read for us here from Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, and we're going to take it to the end of chapter 2. We might not actually cover all this this morning, but I'm going to make my best attempt here because I want us to see the big picture argument of what, what our author is doing. All right, uh, let's start. Actually, let's start halfway through verse 3 so we can start with a full sentence here. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are the angels not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord... And it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone." For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given to me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, 
he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's a little bit longer of a passage than I'll normally be teaching uh, as we go through Hebrews. But all of that that the author brings forward is one argument. And so I want to try to keep it together as much as we can and look at it from a bird's eye view. Okay? Now, this passage here, the, the purpose of it is for our author to explain to us that Jesus is superior to the angels. And as he unfolds that argument, as he wants to explain to us why Jesus is superior to the angels, he does it in three ways. Okay? The first way that he does it is he says, Jesus is superior to the angels, number one, because he's God. That's a pretty good reason. Number two, because he is Savior. And number three, because he became truly man. So because he's God, because he's Savior, and because he became truly man. Those are the three big reasons why Jesus is superior to the angels. And let's now look at how our author unfolds these reasons. Okay? First reason is because Jesus is God. And you can see that right here in this passage, just in your English uh, translation here, you can see there are so many Old Testament quotes. Did you notice that as I was reading the text? It just got... The Old Testament says this, right? and then the Old Testament says this, and you just got all of these different quotes. Notice that for the author of Hebrews, when he wants to show that Jesus is God, he doesn't just use the New Testament. Sometimes when you know, someone comes to us and might say, hey, you know, what verses can I use to, to show that Jesus is God? Because you know, I've got this friend over here that's not quite sure that's what the Bible teaches or, or something. And normally what we'll do is we'll turn to places like Matthew 28, being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We might turn to a verse in John, because Jesus says lots of things in John about being God. So there are lots of places we might turn to. But when the author of Hebrews wants to show that Jesus is truly God, he turns immediately to the Old Testament. Now, that makes perfect sense because in in the time in which our author is writing, this was the only Bible that Christians had. The New Testament was not fully finished yet. People were still, the apostles were still writing the books. And so the Christians had to hold fast to their Old Testaments. They had to know their Old Testaments. They had to find Jesus in their Old Testaments. And that's what the author of Hebrews does here, is he's showing the continuity of God's revelation. We're not just told that Jesus is God in the New Testament. We're told this in the Old Testament too. And so let's just look at a few of these passages here that that the author brings up. He wants to show Jesus is superior to the angels. Verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. 
Now, the passage that the author is quoting from here is from Psalm chapter 2. And if you were, you don't have to do this, but if you were to go back and if you were to read Psalm chapter 2 in its context, you'd actually see that Psalm 2 is all about the installation of David as king over Israel and especially over Jerusalem. Now, that has caused some people to look at this text and be like, well, hold on a second here. Psalm 2 is about David. David is being installed as king, and God calls David his son, metaphorically. Well, the author of Hebrews is taking Psalm 2 out of context, and he's importing meaning into it that's not actually there. But no, that's actually not the case. Because Psalm 2 is about more than just David being installed as king. In fact, if you were to look at the book of Psalms as a whole, what you'd find out is that the whole message of the book of Psalms is that the earthly David really couldn't be the final full king that Israel was looking for. In fact, in the book of Psalms, you actually have the whole book divided into two sections. The first section of the Psalms deals with the fall of David. And it ends with Psalm 89, which is lamenting the fact that David was no longer king. And lamenting the fact that it seems as though God's promises were broken. Because God had promised that David would be on the throne forever. And then the second part of Psalms is all about the fact that, well, no, it wasn't really David who was supposed to be king. That wasn't really the person that God was talking about when he promised that David would be on the throne forever. Rather, the Psalms show us in the second part that it's actually Yahweh himself who is the Davidic king. Yahweh himself is the true David. He is the real king who is installed to be ruler over all of his people forever and ever and ever. And so the Psalms in that way point us forward to Jesus. This is why when we come back to the Psalms and we look at Psalm 1, and here we look at Psalm chapter 2, we see, yes, it is about David being installed as king, but that's not its full and final meaning. Ultimately, that installation of David was pointing forward to Jesus being installed as the true descendant of David who would sit on the throne forever and ever. And that is the reality that the author of Hebrews is pulling out of Psalm 2 here. He's saying, God never put any of the angels on the throne. God never said to any of the angels, you are my only begotten son. But he did say that to Jesus, and he did install Jesus as king. And in fact, that's what the very next Old Testament passage that Hebrews quotes is also about. Verse 5, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. There he's quoting from 2 Samuel chapter 7. That's the covenant that God made with David, telling David, your descendant will always be on the throne. That's the promise Israel questioned God about when they went into Babylonian exile. God, where are your promises? David's not on the throne. What's the author of Hebrews saying? Yeah, actually, God has been on the throne all this time because it's Jesus to whom that promise was pointing. So God's installing Jesus as king. But now look at what he says in verse six. Not only is Jesus installed as king, but here's what our author says. Again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, 
let all God's angels worship him. Now there, we have a quotation from Deuteronomy 32. And we're not going to go back there and look, but if you were to look at this passage in more detail in Deuteronomy, what you'd see is that in that passage, God is speaking. Yahweh himself is speaking. He is going to bring judgment on his enemies. He's going to bring salvation for his people. And the result of all of that is that all of the nations will bow down and worship Yahweh. And yet here, as the author of Hebrews quotes that passage, he says, let all of God's angels worship him in the sense of let all God's angels worship Christ. So when Moses in Deuteronomy says that all, of the, that all the angels and all the nations should worship Yahweh, he's pointing forward to the fact that all the nations and all the angels will worship Christ because Jesus and Yahweh are the same person. Jesus is God. And you see that, that our author is clearly setting this forth in an undeniable way that the Old Testament was always pointing forward to the superiority of Christ. He is greater than the angels. He is greater than all of the divine beings in heaven. Because God has never enthroned any other divine being. God has only enthroned Christ. And Christ sits on the throne because he is God. And so you see there, we actually have a very clear manifestation of the doctrine of the Trinity. That on the one hand, God the Father enthrones God the Son, and yet on the other hand, they are both one. One in essence, three in person. There we have that great mystery of the Trinity at work there. Now, our author actually continues here, and he goes on, he says, not only do we have the worship of Christ here, but he continues to clarify that the angels themselves are just ministers. They are ministers with a flame of fire, he says in verse 7. In verse 14, he says that the ministering spirits are the angels and they're just sent out to serve. That's all the angels are for. They are the servants of God. They are the messengers of God. They are not the great one that you should be looking to. Rather, you should be looking to Christ. Because in verse 8, Christ is the one addressed as God who sits on the throne. Christ is the divine ruler. And so he is vastly, infinitely superior to the prophets and to the angels. The prophets and the angels, they proclaimed that God is on the throne. Jesus doesn't just proclaim that God is on the throne. Jesus is God who is on the throne. You see that? You see the superiority of Christ being presented here. And so in response to this, our our author of Hebrews not only just declares this doctrine, but what he does at the beginning of chapter 2 is he gives us the first warning. And you remember, in Hebrews, we've got seven sections and six warnings. The first two sections, Christ is superior to the prophets. Christ is superior to the angels. Now we have the first warning here. At the beginning of chapter 2, he says, therefore, so based on all this that I've just said to you, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 
For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so in this warning, the author of Hebrews says, look, this message that I'm declaring to you, that Christ is superior to the prophets, to the earthly messengers, and that Christ is superior to the angels, the heavenly messengers, that message was declared to you. It was declared to you by the prophets. I just quoted them. It was declared to you by the apostles. And God bore witness to the authenticity of their message by these great signs and wonders that they did, the healings that they accomplished, the great miracles that they performed. And our author is saying, do you guys realize that what I'm proclaiming to you is not new doctrine? What I'm proclaiming to you is what God has said and has authenticated through great signs. Don't neglect this great teaching. Now, that's only the first reason that the author of Hebrews gives for why Jesus is superior to the angels. He actually has two more reasons. The second reason, as we said before, is that Jesus is not only God, but that Jesus is also the Savior. Look at what he says in verse 5 of chapter 2 here. For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. And then he quotes from the Old Testament again. But he moves down here in verse 8 where he says, At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In other words, when God executed the plan of salvation to save sinners, he did not use an angel to do that. God did not appoint one of his angels to be the substitutionary sacrifice to die for his people. No, God appointed the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who has been sent. And we are told that God subjected the world to come to Christ and not to the angels. Now that world to come that he's talking about there, he's talking about the kingdom of God, which consists of Christ ruling over his Chosen people. So big picture wise, we're talking about the doctrine of salvation. God did not exercise his plan of salvation through an angel. As wonderful, as heavenly, as high as that being might be. He did it through his son. And how did he do it? He did it in this way, verse 10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share 
in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. You've heard me talk about this in in previous Sunday school classes. When we talk about the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement, that is that Jesus had to die in our place in order to pay for the sins that we should have paid for. When we talk about that, you've got to understand that according to the scriptures, the only way that that could have happened is for a human being to die in our place. See, God, God could not enact the plan of salvation through an angel by sending an angel to die for us. Because angels and humans are different beings. An angel cannot take our place. But what God did do is he sent a human being, Jesus Christ. Not that, God, not that Jesus isn't truly God, of course. But Jesus took upon himself a true and a full human nature. And Jesus, as true man, came and he died in our place. And according to the author of Hebrews, that's the only way it could have happened. We needed a truly human being to come and to die in our place. That's why in verse 14 he says that therefore the children that share in flesh and blood needed that he himself would partake of the same things so that through death he would accomplish salvation for us. See, this is something an angel could not do. This is only something the God-man could do. The Lord Jesus Christ, true God and true man. That's the only way that a substitutionary atonement could possibly happen. And so you can see then as you take a step back and you think about the author of Hebrews' argument. He's saying Jesus is greater and more important to us than any of the angels. Because he is God himself. He is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Jesus is superior to angels not just because he is God, but also because he is our Savior. We're not saved by the angels. We're not saved by anything the angels could possibly do. And thirdly, Jesus is superior to the angels because Jesus was able, though he was in the form of God, He took upon himself also the form of a servant, the form of a human nature. And he as the God-man paid the infinite debt that we owed to God and died that horrific death for us. You see, Jesus is so much greater than the angels. The angels are wonderful messengers of God They come, they proclaim the message of Christ to us. They proclaim the message of Christ to many in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. But that's all they were, messengers. Jesus himself is the reality. Now this is really important because as we continue to look at the superiority of Christ as he's presented in the book of Hebrews going forward, we're going to see that what we have in this book is a kind of escalation of Old Testament characters. 
You remember, the prophets and the angels, they're very important figures that show up in the Old Testament. They show up all over the place. The prophets come, they declare the message of God. They were well respected, particularly by Jews. And of course, Hebrews here is writing to Jews who have become Christians. And he says, yeah, Christ is superior to the prophets. Oh, and then he moves one step further and he says, yeah, not only is Christ superior to the prophets whom you respect, who wrote a lot of the Old Testament, but Christ is superior to the angels, the very celestial beings who dwell in the presence of God. And the author of Hebrews is going to keep going further. Next, he's going to start talking about the superiority of Christ to Moses, one of the chief figures of of the Old Testament, the mediator of the Old Covenant, one of the most looked up to people in all of Judaism in this day. And further, the author of Hebrews is going to take another step. Christ is superior to all of the sacrificial system that God instituted. The sacrificial system that God instituted. Christ is the perfection of that. Christ is the fulfillment of that. He is greater than that. And you can see that as our author steps forward and forward and forward in his argument, he's making it abundantly clear. Why would you ever want anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ? No matter what you can possibly think of, Christ is greater. For the Jews, the greatest things that they could think of were the prophets, the angels, Moses, the Old Testament sacrificial system, priesthood, the temple. Those were the greatest things on earth. But our author says, no, Christ is better. If Hebrews were to be written today, our author might not be quite as fixated on talking about Jesus being greater than Old Testament realities, he may be using modern examples. What are the things that we might be tempted, not in our profession, but in our practice, to put before the Lord Jesus? Because whatever those things may be, hold fast the message of the book of Hebrews, which is that Jesus is superior to it all. Why would you ever want anything else? As we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ today, hold fast to that message of this book. Christ is greater than all. Hold fast to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this book of Hebrews. And Lord, there are many wonderful teachings in this book. Lord, we can't dwell on all of them or spend time on every verse. But Lord, we we pray that you would help us to understand the big message of this book. That you are superior to everything we could possibly imagine. Oh Lord, we thank you that you rose from the grave. And that we can celebrate the fact that you rose from the grave today. Lord, we pray that you would prepare us now to worship you in spirit and in truth. That we would sing to you, that we would confess your word together, that we would pray. And that we would hear your word preached. And that you would send your spirit to change each and every one of us today as we celebrate. 
Lord, we pray all of these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.